before we get into Blindsight, I want to do something that we did not get to do when Watts came on. And um, that is just read from it a little bit. I'm going to read from... This is not... There is a prologue right before this. This is the, I guess, proper first chapter of the Theseus section of Blindsight. And the, uh, the epigraph is Blood Makes Noise. Suzanne Vega, recording 80s, 90s pop singers here. All right. <laughs> so... <laughs> Imagine you are Siri Keaton. You wake in an agony of resurrection, gasping after a record-shattering bout of sleep apnea spanning 140 days. You can feel your blood, syrupy with dobutamine and leucunophalin, forcing its way through arteries shriveled by months on standby. The body inflates in painful increments, blood vessels dilate, Flesh peels apart from flesh. Ribs crack in your ears with sudden unaccustomed flexion. Your joints have seized up through disuse. You're a stick man, frozen in some perverse rigor vitae. You'd scream if you had the breath. Vampires did this all the time, you remember. It was normal for them. It was their own unique take on resource conservation. They could have taught your kind a few things about restraint, if that absurd aversion to right angles hadn't done them in at the dawn of civilization. Maybe they still can. They're back now, after all. Raised from the grave with the voodoo of paleogenetics, stitched together from junk genes and fossil marrow steeped in the blood of sociopaths and high-functioning autistics, one of them commands this very mission. A handful of his genes live on in your own body, so it too can rise from the dead, here at the edge of interstellar space. Nobody get pa- gets past Jupiter without becoming part vampire. All right, I'm going to stop there. We already got to vampires, which is, which is important to the end of Vampire Month. That, I think, that is a passage that um, excited me when I first read it, and I think it makes all the more sense now that we had Peter on the show, because I can, I can hear that in Peter's voice. I can hear his sense yes. of humor. I can hear his sense of humor embedded in it, um, the sort of sensibility where he, what Peter did on the show, which made it so great, is he, he hits you with the sort of darkest, heaviest shit up front, and then as, but, but frames it as a joke and does so jubilantly. And lets things unspool from there, which is sort of the, you know, he's, he's starting with the pain, the physical discomfort, and then the, the horror, the sort of deeper horror of being undead, and then the horror of introducing the fact that vampires, and his vampires are not nice, by the way, they're not nice vampires, they're not sexy vampires either, really, they're, they are, they're scary vampires, they're intelligent, but very scary. Um, the vampires are back, you're vampire-like, you know, it's, it's, there's a second person in there, imagine yourself as Siri Keaton, um... So yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice, it's dark humor with an investment in horror sort of moving into, inflected by hard sci-fi, because all the science is in there, but then sort of moving, moving towards the deeper hard sci-fi. So anyway, that's, that's, um, that's Peter Watts. And I think that's where the jumping off point to me, probably reading more of his work later on will come. Uh, I want to, I want to call out the phrase rigor vitae that was just sort of snuck in there like a landmine. I just like, it's just a little thing, but I thought that was tremendously clever. The idea of bringing somebody from suspended animation and calling them that as a contrast to rigor mortis. Yeah, totally. I I totally agree with you. Um, And Peter's full of, you know, you heard him on the show. He's full of these great witticisms. He's just an incredibly witty guy. And I think that um, one thing I can say about him that I don't think will offend him at all is by his own admission, he's not good at sketching three-dimensional characters. Um, in many ways, the characters in this book are not so much two-dimensional even, but as one-dimensional. In, in most cases, they represent like one aspect of the psyche. Um, 
And I, and I well, I just wanted to, I just wanted to finish by saying like yeah yeah. What what I think keeps Peter afloat, a lot of things keep him afloat as a writer of fiction, regardless of that. But I think one of the key ones is just his ability to unspool witticisms in the midst of this very hard, scientifically driven sci-fi. That's kind of a unique gift, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I uh, it, It's a weird comparison to draw, but when he started talking about the one-dimensionality of his characters, which is a brave thing for an author to do during an interview, by the way, uh, I, I started thinking about Canterbury Tales. Like, rather than treat the individuals as individuals, he sort of treated them as moving parts for the, uh, uh, well, I wouldn't say morality play that he's drawing, but certainly the, the discussion he wants to have with us, which I think is pretty cool. Oh, man. You, you know, I'm in Chaucer class right now. I don't know if you remember this or not, Pete. And we just started reading Canterbury Tales. Mm-hmm. And the academic in me wants to complicate what you just said, but we're not discussing Canterbury Tales. How it, so I get your point. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I get uh, what you're going for. <laughs> do me a do me a favor and drag me later. I'll yeah, I'll drag you in the timeline. Don't worry, in front of my okay. almost thirty thousand followers. Uh. <laughs> hey everyone, what you just heard is a preview of our latest exclusive episode. To hear the rest and to access our entire catalog of exclusive content, as well as our patrons-only Discord chat, become a patron at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. That's where you can support our work and make sure you get access to everything we do. Patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks.